Hello, and welcome to the SERS Group Podcast. I am Barbara. And I'm JC. And today we are tackling the topic of, so you think you have SERS, now what? Yeah, I think uh, I got to this point in my SERS journey and I was just overwhelmed. This is maybe the worst part of SERS, of the whole treatment, is that moment that you are like, crap this really sounds like me. What the heck do I do now that? And then also just like the skepticism, like, is this really going to work? What uh, do I, let me go look at these other people that they've gone through it. Okay. They're healed. Well, I don't know. Like it's just a lot of hemming and hawing and, and avoiding the walls of text of information that's everywhere. Also, the fact that I think we talked about this before, but a lot of the information that's out there is very practitioner facing. It's very much for clinicians who are treating it, making it even less accessible to people who have SERS brain, the brain fog and the difficulty assimilating new info. That was definitely a symptom I had uh, at my worst SERS moments. So it's just, that's why we're doing this podcast. One of several reasons, but that's like the biggest reason is to hopefully make this more accessible for people in that position. Yeah, I definitely feel like there's two kinds of people going into SERS. There's people like me who are like, ooh, science, and you get all excited. But there's like so much information out there and it's not prioritized at all. So you're just like bombarded by so much info and you're like, okay, what actually matters though? And then I would say the second group of people are like, oh, science, no thank you. <laughs> right, yep, yep. They just wanna know, what do I do next? Just give yeah. me the next step. So I guess this podcast is for you if you're in that camp. <laughs> Welcome. This Welcome. is what we do. Yes. So really, you know, if you're looking into SERS and you're like, that sounds like me, the first step is getting diagnosed. And there's a very clear diagnostic parameter around SERS. First is you take a look at the symptom clusters. There's 37 symptoms associated with SIRS. You can have way more symptoms than that, but there's 37 specifically to get diagnosed. And they're arranged in 13 different symptom clusters. If you have one of the symptoms in a cluster, that cluster counts towards your total symptom cluster count. If you have eight of the 13, it's something like you have 94% chance you have SIRS. Now, if you have seven or six of the 13, it's like, well, that's still pretty high. You might want to keep moving along the diagnostic criteria. Um, but really, the first step there is the symptom clusters. Yeah. And I feel like most people, check off like so many, like almost all of them, or they maybe only have two. I have had a couple weird cases though, where they like could check off like four boxes. And I feel like that's the dumbest place ever to be. Not dumb. I'm not judging where that person is in their health. Why are you saying, sicker? <laughs> but it's like, what does that even mean? If you only have four boxes? I don't even know. I would still probably at least do the vision test and just maybe pay a little bit more attention to like how I'm feeling. And like, now that I know the symptoms, I might like go through life and kind of maybe even journal about like how I feel to really pay attention to see maybe I'm missing some symptoms just because I'm so focused on the ones that are stronger. Um, I don't know though. I, what would you do if you only had four? <laughs> If I had four of the symptom clusters, I think like you said, I would um, 
I would maybe take the symptom clusters or I would take all of the symptoms and start tracking them day by day. And I think the other thing is the symptoms are very uh, narrowly defined, but I think we can experience those symptoms in different ways. So if like one of the symptoms is vertigo, and I think that people have this perception of vertigo as more of like a Meniere's vertigo, where you're just like collapsed in on yourself, literally cannot stand up, the entire world is spinning. But vertigo can also be like, you stand up and you feel dizzy. So I think part of it too could be like maybe having a little more latitude on how you define those symptoms or looking up like that symptom and what other people experience practically to see if something you're experiencing may fit into that. And Barbara alluded to it, but the next step of the diagnostic process is the vision test. So there is something called the visual contrast study. You can take it at VCS test.com. But how it works is because of the inflammation that's kind of building up in the tiny capillaries of your eye when you have SIRS and because of the direct impact of the biotoxins on your nerves, the VCS is a test that uh, shows your ability to see blurred lines. People who have SIRS lose the ability to see blurred lines. So not only is it part of the diagnostic process, but they can also use it during your treatment protocol to kind of see how you're doing and how your body is eliminating those biotoxins. The thing with the VCS test is it's uh, accurate in terms of if you fail it, you definitely have SIRS, but there's a certain segment of people who will pass it because uh, maybe they have had some sort of background or artistic training where they're better at seeing the differentiation of colors or lines. And in some cases, I think maybe whatever inflammation that is happening is not happening to the extent that it would need to, to around the eyes and the capillaries uh, delivering blood to the eyes, that they would then fail the test. Because I do have some people who have no no real background in in graphics or artists or design, but they still pass it. But then when you check their blood, they still have SIRS. So the symptom clusters, I still think are a really, really strong, like this maybe the strongest indicator of having SIRS. Um, but the vision test is this nice, like, oh, okay, yeah, definitely. You alluded to it again. The next step is the blood work. And there's really two parts to the blood work. One is testing your genetic haplotypes, which will help you identify which biotoxins you might be sensitive to. And then the second part of the blood work is looking for the downstream impact of the chronic inflammation. And it's innate inflammatory markers, whereas normally with autoimmune blood work, it would be looking for things like rheumatoid factor, this blood work is super specific to SIRS. There's six different uh, specific blood work pieces, blood work markers, types, markers. Marker, blood markers, thank you, um, that they look for that are specifically associated with SIRS. The nice part about the first part of the blood work, which is the genetic haplotype, is that you only need to test that once. It can be the most expensive piece of the blood work testing, but you obviously, like once you test it, now you know your genetic haplotype. You don't need to like retest it. The rest of the blood markers, just like the vision test, you can test over and over again throughout treatment to kind of see how the treatment is doing beyond how you feel, of course, which is also an important factor, but you can actually see the data with, with your blood markers improving over time, depending on what step of the treatment that you're on. So if you have the genes for SIRS and you have the blood markers that indicate SIRS at that point, you're, you have SIRS. Um, so really the next step is finding someone to work with who can help treat you through the protocol. And we recommend going to survivingmold.com. Uh, there you will find Shoemaker certified. 
practitioners, and the Shoemaker Protocol is the only clinically proven path to treating SIRS. So it's the one we've personally both gone through and the one I would suggest anyone pursue. And these websites, the vcstest.com and survivingmold.com will be in the uh, description just so you can uh, you can click that if you need to. We're going to make it real easy for you so you can't avoid this. If you think you have SIRS, you're just going to like jump right into the process, start moving forward. So while you're waiting for the appointment with your provider, there are a few things you can get started on right now. Yes. So the things that you can do in the meantime is especially the lipid replacement therapy. We've already discussed how I feel about one of the lipid replacement therapies, which is, I can't even say it. I call it P-choline, which is what people call it, but it's phospho... Phosphatidylcholine. <laughs> Phosphatidylcholine. Okay. That's even better than I remembered. Um, so that's one. There's also um, a brand called Omaprem specifically uh, that is a very high dose fish oil. Um, that one's great. It's in capsule form. So you don't taste it unlike others. And then there's also um, another fish oil, omega-3 supplement called Biomega 500. Uh, that's, and that and Omaprem are the two that I happen to take. Uh, but that that is important to up your fats because the binders that you will eventually be taking when you do start like the official step one of the, the Shoemaker protocol is going to strip the fat from your cells. And it's going to feel awful if you don't have, well, it can feel not great, even if you do have your, your fat up or your lipids up, cholesterol up, whatever you want to call it. But it, as long as you have those up, the side effects to the binders are lessened. From what we've heard from practitioners we work with uh, that are very experienced in SIRS, the people who go into SIRS treatment on a carnivore diet, like they've been carnivore for a while, naturally, we tend to eat a lot more fat than the average person. We do better with the mm -hmm. binders and the whole treatment. So that's a, just another reason that you want to make sure that you're replacing those lipids. And just to put that in perspective a little bit, so I started on my SIRS journey because I had an autoimmune condition called ankylosing spondylitis. And if I am triggered, I'll have a flare of that autoimmune condition. And that looks like eye inflammation specifically for me. But if I'm not really diligent in taking my lipid replacements while I'm on the binder, I do experience flares. And so by taking the binders, not only are you directly impacting your tolerance of how you're going to experience the binders, but it may also just help you reduce inflammation generally and a lot of the side effects that come with SIRS, or I should say not side effects, but like the downstream impact. And I, I have noticed because I've ran out of, of the Omoprem and the fish oil supplements, and I have noticed things like my skin getting really dry and just generally not feeling as great of all of the random side things, side therapies, supplemental, whatever, the supportive therapies, there we go, that we, uh, that I've been doing. I feel like that's been one of the more impactful that I've, I really noticed a difference if I run out. What is another thing uh, that people should do if they have not started the treatment yet? I really suggest limbic retraining and uh, limbic retraining is rewiring the neural pathways in your brain that have been errantly created by chronic illness. So if you think of like Pavlov's dog, how he got the dogs to salivate at the ringing of a bell because he rang the bell whenever he fed the dogs, like that's an example of limbic training. He rang the bell, fed the dogs, so eventually they would salivate when they heard the bell. 
So when you have chronic illness, you have negative impacts all the time. And so you start developing these neural pathways that think certain things are triggering you that are causing this bad feeling, but it's not actually the trigger. It's just like you're chronically ill and you feel bad all the time. So what limbic retraining does is it rewires those neural pathways and it helps you stop triggering to inappropriate triggers. That said, limbic retraining works on the errant neural pathways, meaning the ones that are not correct. So you're still going to have chronic illness and like the normal downstream impact, but you're no longer going to respond to incorrect triggers. So it's not a cure-all, but it definitely helps a lot of people who are experiencing chronic illness, especially if they're having like histamine reactions or autoimmune flares, stuff like that. And uh, I will say this publicly as a way of being accountable, but by the time this episode airs, I will be, I will have started the DNRS program specifically, uh, which is uh, one of the programs you can do for limbic retraining. So I will very happily report on how that goes as I get further along into it. But I have not yet started as of this moment, but I will be soon. Yeah. And there's a lot of different ways you can approach limbic retraining. I think a lot of people are familiar with DNRS and then also the Gupta program. Those are the two I hear most commonly. But limbic retraining can also have a broader scope in terms of just like It can be like mindset or emotional management if you're familiar with kind of those uh, categories of limbic retraining. But it can also be things like just switching out of your routine, brushing your teeth with your non-dominant hand, learning a new instrument. So if DNRS or Gupta feels like too much right now because it is a time and money commitment, you can still start small. And it can be through small daily actions. You don't need to buy anything or pursue anything other than just changing up your routine. So the third thing would be learning. Uh, Really with SIRS, there's a lot of information out there and just pursuing a little, being 1% more knowledgeable every day, I think is a good goal. If you can only spend 20 minutes on the material, do that. If, if, watching YouTube videos is an easy way for you to consume content, subscribe to the source group podcast, you know, it just find, find the way of learning that resonates with you and try and get as much information as you can. That way you can advocate for yourself as a patient and start making more knowledgeable decisions. Yeah, that is really important. I think I I do, I I guess I want to add a caveat there that if some people may feel overwhelmed by that process, and if you do feel that overwhelm creep up, um, that's where that's I mean, really, that is where a support group would help. Even if you don't join the sirsgroup.com, just have some kind of community to to get some reassurance that this is something that's doable and that you can get to the next step and all of that. Because some people do get overwhelmed when they learn too much. I am like you, JC, like I do want to kind of know as much as I possibly can so I can plan things out. I know what's coming. All that stuff lowers my anxiety. But if you're Mm -hmm. the type of person where it actually heightens it a bit, um, just kind of focusing on the next step. Like if you haven't gone through any of the diagnostic stuff yet, just do the next one that you haven't done yet. Like if you looked at the symptom clusters and they make sense for you, okay, next step, try the vision test and don't really think about anything beyond that. Um, again, that's just if this is overwhelming to you, but beyond the learning, which of course we're trying to add to by creating this podcast, as you mentioned, uh, there are a couple other more biohacky things that people do to kind to feel better or to feel, um, just to improve symptoms to some degree. I think the important thing 
to keep in mind if you're going to do those things is that it's a little bit of a Band-Aid and that's okay. That's okay to, as long as you know that and you know like, oh, I'm just saving up to 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 um, do the surge treatment or the doctor I chose doesn't have an opening for two months, you know, which happens. The, the surge practitioners are booked up uh, in some situations. So if you're dealing with that, Think about things that you can do in the meantime to feel better while you plan for that eventual actual treatment. Uh, one of the things too, actually two things that I personally do that I have found a lot of enjoyment, gotten a lot of enjoyment out of is actually sauna and tanning. Uh, tanning has been great because of my low MSH and just probably my consequential low vitamin D. I do live in Las Vegas, but it's very cold in the winter. So I have been, I have a membership. I go a couple times a week. It's very relaxing. It's almost meditative, uh, cause you're forced to just lay there for 20 minutes or however long the time lasts. And so that's been really great. And then sauna is a nice way to detox. Again, if your body can handle it, sometimes it's too much for certain people, but I really enjoy uh, pushing myself as long as I can, usually somewhere in the 15 to 25 minute mark in like 180 degrees Fahrenheit is that's as much as I do. Some people go longer, some people do a lower temperature, but longer, um, just find what works for you. But I think those, um, both of those seem to be really nice for some people. Yeah, definitely find the mix of biohacking that helps you feel your best. It's going to help you tolerate treatment better and control your inflammation and your symptoms while you're achieving root cause healing as you go through the Shoemaker protocol. But really, there's no, it's so hard because biohacking is so individual. Like there are some people who really thrive in the sauna, but some people get a Herx reaction from it. So it's really uh, bio-individual in the sense that you need to figure out what works for you, but find whatever, you know, combination of Band-Aid helps the underlying wound to heal. Um, and now is the best time to do it because once you start the protocol, like things are going to start changing for you rapidly as you heal and some of the downstream impact of SIRS starts to be treated. And so finding your baseline of like, okay, this is as good as I can feel before treatment, do that. <laughs> and one more thing I'm going to point out, before you start taking the binders, make sure you're pooping every day. I have been shocked that we haven't been talking about pooping more on this how, podcast. How have we escaped it? We didn't do it on purpose. We didn't we didn't avoid poop. I mean, I've talked very freely about poop. Generally speaking, in other situations, I don't know how it hasn't come up on the podcast. Yeah. But the one of the side effects of the binders is constipation. And so like just Get yourself on a nice little protocol of magnesium citrate ahead of time. Make sure you're going once a day and it's going to make your experience with the binders a lot better. Yes. And it is also very important that you be eliminating daily. Uh, even before I've, I've heard of doctors telling patients, oh, you're not pooping every day. You need to before you start the binders. They will not prescribe the binders until you can. And that's not a blanket statement, but they probably won't prescribe the binders unless you are eliminating every single day. That is important because that is how you, the, the binders actually pull the toxins out and then you poop it out. And so if you're not pooping and it's just sitting there in your colon, the toxins can reabsorb. Yeah. So d definitely, you know, just make sure you are at a point where you you're as good as you can get ahead of treatment 
and you're pooping every day and you're working on your mindset and your emotional management, you're doing the biohacks that make you feel as physically good as you can in the meantime. Um, But those are some really practical steps you can do. And like Barbara said, it's just one step at a time, just the next best step. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and learned something. Please leave us a comment if you have uh, any questions or requests for a future episode. Uh, We'll try to tackle that. Definitely check in to see if Barbara actually did the DNRS. She said it. Feel free to ask me about it. No, I'm actually, I'm excited to to get started because I know it's helped. DNRS has helped uh, some members for sure. So I would like to see what it's all about and be able to, um, you know, relay my experience to everyone. So I'm excited for that. Uh, But yeah, so uh, otherwise, join us over at thesersgroup.com. Really, I mean, we're popping now. That group, it's an excited, fun group of sick people. (laughs) (laughs) You know what the cool thing about the group is, though, is like for the people who are overwhelmed by learning, it's like you have the opportunity to just ask your question. You don't have to go like go find the answer. And you have people who have finished the protocol in the group who can respond to that. And I think that's a really powerful thing you're not really going to find anywhere else. Right. Yes, I completely agree. Um, so yeah, join us over there. Otherwise we will see you next time. Okay. Bye. Bye.